Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. This week, we are focusing on the office of sheriff across the state of North Carolina. Uh, as I said, we, when we began the program, I'm very interested in this because I'm going to learn a lot. The sheriffs in North Carolina, of course, are elected officials, and uh, their role in law enforcement is uh, somewhat d- different, I guess, because they have a number of jobs that uh, the uh, regular police officers don't have, and that would be, for example, serving civil process papers and maintaining the court systems and so forth. But uh, so I, I guess one of the things that would be interesting to talk about is uh, how the various law and source, uh, enforcement agencies, police, SBI, FBI, and so forth, work together because there seems to be a, a great sense, at least I see, uh, there seems to be a great sense of understanding of each other's roles and working together. Yes, sir. It's, it's certainly a partnership. And one of the, the uh, themes that we have seen recur many, many times across our conversations with um, the Sheriff's Association as the, as the president, I traveled to regional meetings all across our state and Eddie Caldwell and I uh, went to a series of meetings that started, there's uh, several different districts across our state, five different places we stopped um, over the course of a week and a half. And during those luncheons and the conversations with our other partnering law enforcement agencies, the, the common theme that kept being pushed forward was the partnership and the fact that we can't do this by ourselves and how critical the working relationship has become and the importance of the partnership and how strong we have come working together. And a lot of this came about as a result of some problematic calls across our state, which caused us to have to work together when we may not have otherwise planned to. So. I think the partnerships are very important. Um, everybody understands where their place is. No one wants to step on anyone's toes at any time. Um, and and everybody works so good together and utilizing the resources that are available. Um, we do have a list of every agency within the state and what the resources they have to offer. So when some catastrophic event does occur in whatever county, Immediately, the Sheriff's Helping Sheriff's Network goes into action, and we have people at the phones who can reach out to those agencies that have the resources that are needed the most, and we can see those um, force multipliers come into those counties and help them, whether it be a hurricane, natural disaster, or civil unrest. Um, very proud of the way that our, our agencies, state agencies, county and local work together we've probably got a stronger team now than we've had in in years past. We brought up the question of mental health because now law enforcement agencies are dealing with that as as well as mental health experts. Uh, It is a serious problem in North Carolina. How much of your time is spent uh, in that area? Well, that's an interesting question. We've spent a lot of time over the last several months critically looking at the data of the calls that we take on a, on a daily basis. I get up every morning and I check which, you know, our, our, our app on our phone we have that allows us to see the calls that the deputies have taken in the 12 hours prior. And out of, you know, on Smart Force, which is the app, 
there might be 24 calls. And of those 24 calls, I guarantee 20 of them are mental health calls. And it's, it's, um, it's sad to say, but the police have been asked and our emergency departments in our hospitals have been asked to solve all the societal ills and it just cannot work. It's not sustainable. It's not a problem that we can fix. Uh, mental health issues do not need to be addressed by arresting people. That is the most horrible and, and um, in my opinion, uh, barbaric way to treat someone who is suffering from a, um, an illness is to try to apprehend and arrest and jail that problem. I can only imagine what it, I know what it feels like to walk in the jail when I go in there and it, it can close in on you. And I can only imagine what it might feel like to somebody who is suffering from a, uh, a, a mental break. And um, I think about that a lot and I wish there was an answer. Our state hospital closed down and all of that, everything that went there is now going to the sheriffs and the emergency rooms across our state. Compound that with the, the perfect storm of, of the COVID outbreak and, you know, everybody's lives were, were stopped and isolated. Schools stopped doing what they do for kids. Work, people were sent home. Um, people were in a lot of places without jobs and mental illness crept at an all-time high and um, we got the call at 911 to come and take care of it and we have as law enforcement officers done as good a job as we could do but we have failed miserably at dealing with the mental health issues within our state and there has got to be an answer because what we're doing ain't working and it's getting worse and it's putting people in positions they don't need to be put in and it's putting law enforcement in positions where they have to make decisions they'd rather not have to make um it's a problem that we have got to address and our legislators in raleigh i hope they listen to this show and they hear me when i say we've got to figure out a way to funnel some of these federal dollars back into our state to help address these issues um, it's it's being put on the backs of our local counties and our counties simply cannot cannot address it. how big a, a problem uh in mental health is the sale of illegal drugs and are we uh winning that war or are we losing i don't know how to measure that or how to answer that other than to say that um fentanyl is terrible it's horrible it's killing our youth it's killing it's killing people all around us, not just our youth. Um, and fentanyl is showing up everywhere. And, you know, you've got that on top of mental health issues. And then you have folks who have gone to their doctors and tapped out their insurance and trying to take care of whatever issues they have. They run out of money. And then you find them in an alleyway buying a $5 fentanyl of heroin and they die from, from taking it. Um, as jail administrators, we're trying to figure out ways to mitigate the opportunities of folks coming into our jails and getting a little bit clean so that when they go back out and do that five bindle, a $5 bindle of heroin, it kills them because their, their tolerance level has been dropped. And we're using what's called MAT or medical assisted treatment to give them an alternative to that heroin while they're in jail 
and people are saying that we're we're stupid for doing that. We're substituting one drug for another. Well, I'll argue to you all day long. I have high blood pressure and I take medicine every day. And if somebody's got a mental illness or somebody's got an illness that they they're they're subjecting themselves to chemical that they're chemically dependent on drugs and and they're placed in jail for a crime maybe they didn't commit or a mental illness because they were acting funny on the street and their tolerance level drops and they go back out and they take the drug they've been taking and they die i had a hand in that death and i don't think that's right so i will continue to do medical assistance treatment and i will try to expand it as much as i can to make sure that when folks do leave my jail uh, they've at least got a chance to get back on the straight and narrow and if they don't that's not my fault but if they die when they walk out the door I, I, I'm, it's hard for me to sleep when that happens. I'm going to change the subject a bit now because in many cases, in uh, many, many of our counties, uh, the rural homeowner is totally dependent on the sheriff's office because there are no local police for them in most cases. So what advice would you give to rural homeowners about their safety and how uh, what services can you provide for them to make them feel safer and more secure? Well, I'm going to say something that might tick off a lot of police chiefs, but the folks in, in most rural counties in this state feel safer than they do in the city. And and I know that's the case in my county, and I'm not picking on the city police. I'm just saying that we've got coverage within our county that's, that's dramatic, and, and, and we're covering our county probably as good if not better than the cities are covering the people that live in their city and i'll put our guys up against anybody in the county um they they work hard to make sure that they're in those communities they serve those communities they live in those communities uh, it means something when you live in the community you serve most of the law enforcement agencies around here have police officers that don't even live in this county much less than the city they serve and i'm proud of that i think it's important I think you have a different way of approaching uh, John Q. Citizen when you live next to him, when you go to church with him, when you see him in the grocery store. That's that other level of accountability I talk about. I think our rural communities are served rather well across our state. I visited a bunch of sheriff's offices across our state and our communities, our rural communities are proud of their sheriff's offices. They're proud of the services that they get from them. And um, I don't think we're missing a beat at one point. Let's turn the uh, let's look at the opposite side of that. What uh, what can you uh, ask the uh, average citizen to do to support and help you in your jobs and your duties and your responsibilities? Well, I think that this, again, I go back to the Paleo principle. You know, the people are the police, and the police are the people. Um, we had an incident the other day where an individual had escaped from Orange Correctional Center, which is the state department of corrections. And it was a citizen who called us at three in the morning to tell us they had seen the individual. Um, so our citizenry are the eyes and ears of, of safety within this agency. And, and we depend on them heavily to give us information about things that are going on in the community that make them scratch their head. And we tell them, you know, if it's, if it's curious to you, it's curious to us. Let us come and check it out. We don't want you to do that. But. Um, they're really good about letting us know we've got a sheriff app. We've got a, uh, uh, the ability for them to send an email to me personally. Um, we've got a website. We've got Facebook pages. Uh, information is constantly being shared. 
Um, our, our citizens support us really, really well. And we see it all the time. I'll go to the laundromat sometimes to pick up my clothing and they'll tell me somebody walked in and saw the patch and asked to pay for the clothes cleaning. And, uh, it's, you know, it happens all the time when you're in a restaurant and the waiter comes to give you the ticket. They say somebody paid for your ticket. They just didn't really want you. They just wanted to say thank you. Um, so I think our citizens support us. I, I know they support us. And I'll tell you, this goes back to what I said earlier about our media pushing the narrative that police are bad. I think that the media's job is to sell whatever they're selling. And I don't want to pick a battle with somebody that buys ink by a gallon, but I'm just going to tell you, um, our media has, has beat us up over the past couple of years for no good reason. And the communities that support us will tell you real quick that, you know, they love their, their sheriff's office. They love their police departments. They love their troopers and, and they respect us and work together with us and they support us better than, than folks might believe if they watch the news every night. And I'm proud of that. Well, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's a great lesson to, to know that, uh, you're pushing, uh, humility uh, on the part of your, uh, uh, deputies and, and associates, because it is important for them to understand that, uh, uh, they can be intimidating to, uh, to especially young people. Um, and so, uh, I, I applaud you for your approach and saying, Hey, wait a minute, we've got to, we've got to keep our humility. Well, we've got to tell our story and that's another part of it. The association realized that, you know, we were getting a bad rap through the news media. So we've taken to the airways and we're telling our story and we're telling the story of law enforcement across North Carolina and what a great professional organization it is. Well, it's a tough job. And, and, uh, I think, uh, I've, I've seen a number of people, as you say, pick up tabs at restaurants. And I think they are, are just trying in some small way to say, look, we appreciate what you're doing. We thank you for your service. We thank you for taking your life in, uh, in, in risk every time you go out. And so it is important. Our guest is Sheriff Charles Blackwood. He's the president of the North Carolina Sheriff's Association. And we'll be back with more here on Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. 
Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Back on Carolina Newsmakers, uh, our guest this week is Sheriff Charles Blackwood, who is not only Sheriff of Orange County, the 47th Sheriff, uh, a job that he's had since, uh, uh, I think, uh, 2012. Uh, but he's also serves as the president of the North Carolina Sheriff's Association, statewide agency uh, that represents and supports the 100 sheriffs in the various 100 counties of the state of North Carolina to help them strengthen the professional law enforcement services that their offices provide. And uh, we've talked about the fact that there are many functions of the sheriff's department, maintaining the jails, uh, processing uh, civil papers, and of course, uh, also being the uh, providing the security for the North Carolina courtrooms. Uh, Sheriff, as you look ahead, and with your 42 years of experience as a veteran of the sheriff's office, what are some of the things that you would like to see change or uh, continue to work on as far as improvements uh, as, as the sheriffs of the state of North Carolina go about doing their, their jobs? But one thing I want to do is call you out on one little mistake you made, and that is by saying sheriff's department. And I'm going to do that in a very kind and respectful way. A lot of folks say sheriff's department, and they don't realize that we're an office. Uh, we are an elected office, just like the governor's office. You wouldn't say the governor's department. The departments within the county government, the tax department, revenue department, the whatever, they are departments of county government. The sheriff's office and the clerk's office are offices of the sheriff and of the clerk. I am not a county employee, nor are my deputies. They are employees of me, and I am an employee of the people. And we've got a little standing joke around here. We've got a cookie jar. And if you mess up and say department, you have to put a dollar in that cookie jar. In the year, we give that to some charity. So I'm going to drop your dollar in the jar for you. Because you're my friend. Okay. But it is an office. And, okay. And, well, I appreciate you paying my fine for me. Yes, sir. We have to remind folks of that a lot. You hear our newscasters talk about sheriff's departments all the time. And whenever they do that, Eddie Caldwell's real quick to send them a little email and say, we're an office, not a department. <laughs> As for what we need to do to make things better in law enforcement, we are working feverishly right now on um, the big hot topic within our detention centers, especially, and that is hiring and retention. It's important to hire good folks, quality folks, folks that want to do the job. Our job market right now is full of folks who really don't know what they want to do. And they're quick to take a job and they're slow to get committed to it. And unfortunately, we see that in all aspects of our employment across our state, again, whether it be the auto zone or, or hospital or wherever, even in teaching. So um, we really try to run a really close, hard background on folks to make certain that they're folks who want to come to work, want to be part of this profession, which is a most honorable profession and are committed to doing the job. and. You know, that's hiring. Retention falls back on me as the sheriff. You know, the 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 um, the, 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 the theory of being enriched by the job that you do 
a lot of that lies on the employee, but a whole lot of it lies on me as the leader. I've got to offer an environment that is productive. I've got to offer an environment that is fair. I've got to offer an environment that they feel good about being part of a team, that they feel fulfilled when they go home. Um, the worst thing that can happen was for somebody to come to work for eight hours or 12 hours and go home and carry all that hatred back to their family and unload on them. I want them to feel good about what they do here so that when they go home, they can feel good about talking with their family about that mission. Um, so hiring your attention is something we're paying close attention to. I will say that, you know, I'm on a committee right now formed by Josh Stein to explore our attorney general to explore our um, hiring and retention practices and ways we can get better, things we can do to encourage people to come into this profession. And I'm not talking about giving them bonuses to sign. I'm, I'm, I'm against that. I don't think it's fair to the profession to pay people to sign on and to come to work just to get that bonus and then walk out the door and quit. I want people to come to work here and I want to be able to pay them for going to college to get a degree. I want to give them a bonus for doing that. I want them to, to, to get benefits from what they put into the job, not benefits for walking in the door and asking for the job. I want to hire right, not right now. Um, I don't want to run to hire a warm body just to fill a spot. I think that's the wrong thing to do for the profession. It's the wrong thing to do for communities we serve. And we've seen across our nation what can happen when that takes place. So hiring and retention, also our uh, Secretary of the Department of Public Safety, Eddie Buffalo Jr. has got a committee together as well to talk about hiring and retention. And that is, it is a, uh, something that I want to see not turn into the, like the affordable housing uh, buzzword that politicians use every time they want to run for office and they can't define. Um, I want it to turn into something that's real and I want to see our law enforcement professionals across the state pay attention to the hiring and retention of their staff. The other thing I want to do is look after the mental health and well-being of our officers. We talk about the mental health crisis that's happening in the streets. It's also happening in our house. And when I talk about our house, I'm talking about my office. Um, these folks are subjected to critical incident exposure every day. We see the worst that society can uh, put on each other and and it's just it can take a toll on your mental health and uh, I, I sell it's people when I hire them I hire you for life and that means if if you have a, a mental health issue that can be dealt with that we need to deal with it and not take your badge and gun from you let's get you the mental health you need and make sure that you can pass the fit for duty challenge and come back to work um, I think it's critically important we be more forgiving of our folks who, who deal with these critical incident exposure every day and try to take care of them in a way that maybe we haven't in the past. I'm part of a program that's another statewide program, uh, RAI, which is the Rescue Assistance uh, Initiative, where we try to take care of our, our, our workers, our emergency services personnel, whether they be fire, EMS, or police. You know, everybody has those challenges where they just don't know which way to turn and you know they hear that pounding in their head and they need somebody to talk to and, and if by gosh we can't help them who can um i think we need to do a much better job of 
telling the public what it is that we do. We we use Facebook and social media, but you know everybody doesn't doesn't subscribe to that. I think that we've got to get back to the idea of getting out in our communities and and having programs within our communities to work with our communities to let them know who we are, what we stand for. I don't like the word transparent. I like the word open. I think we need to be open with the public we serve and answer their questions when they ask them. If we have a catastrophic in our event, event in our community, I think we ought to be the first to come out and talk about it. Um, if we mess up, we need to tell them we messed up. If we did something we had to do, we need to explain to them why we had to do it and what we did and why. If we've got a difference of opinion, we need to sit down at the table and work that out. If we get to the point we just tell people no comment, they're going to lose trust in us. And that's the worst that could happen to an honorable profession. And I just, I'm so blessed in this county that we have the ability to stay in touch with the people that we serve so well. And um, I'm, I'm proud of the way that's done. And I've seen it replicated across our state by other sheriffs. And our sheriffs across the state have taken the lead in trying to get that message out about what we do, how we do it, why we do it, when we do it. Let's, uh, let's ask you also about uh, maybe misconceptions of the office of sheriff. For example, I had... Uh, earlier in the program, I said sheriff's department, and you pointed out, uh, of course, it's a sheriff's office. It's not a department. So what are any other misconceptions that people might have of your office or, or, or your responsibilities? Well, I think it's, it's you know, you, you watch TV and you think that's what happens in real life. There are people that call me and figure that I'm just sitting in there waiting for something to do. And they don't have a clue what my schedule looks like. I've had six meetings today and was late getting to this one because of one right prior to it. Um, my day is slammed. Um, it's hard for me to carve time out for folks, but I do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, the idea that a sheriff is just sitting in their office waiting for something to happen couldn't be further from the truth. Our officers, when they come to work every day, they, they respond to, uh, there's no telling how many calls for service they get. I come to work in the morning and I hear them taking calls and they're taking calls all day long and I hear them all evening when I listen to the radio. We stay very busy. I think people don't understand that we have the ability to work in the city. I mean, the cities and the county, there's nothing to stop me from going down there and, and going to work. The only reason we don't do it is there's no sense in duplicating services. The Chapel Hill Police is there. That's their job. That's their duty. If they need us, they'll call us. But um, our officers are all over the county all day long. They they stop cars. They issue citations. They help investigate accidents. They rescue folks. I've got uh, AEDs in every car, um, the automatic electronic defibrillators. So we got to rescue calls. We've got Narcan. If someone overdoses, we can we can help recover. There um, there's so much work that we do that folks don't have a clue about, um, and that's okay. That's okay. It's a good thing if they don't know what we're doing, because that means it hasn't yet affected them. So I'm not beating the people up in the county for not knowing what we're all about. I'm proud of the fact that they don't know all the stuff we do. That means that we're doing a good job of keeping it away from them. But, uh, you know, I just I think it's important that folks understand that we're busy. We are a professional law enforcement agency. We do take great pride in the professionalism and the standards that we adhere to.
while we're uh, talking and we got uh, about a minute, let's talk in terms of how people can find out more about the Office of Sheriff. Uh, in other words, uh, how can they get information from the North Carolina Sheriff's Association? Uh, do you have uh, their email address and or a website? So the North Carolina Sheriff's Association, you can go just type that into Google and it'll come right up. The Orange County Sheriff's Office, the same way. However, there's five Orange Counties in the state in the United States. Just North Carolina, Orange County Sheriff's Office. Um, I got a QR code I can put up or I can get to you. That'll take you to our page as well. But there's many ways to get in touch with us. Just go out there and look a little bit or pick up the phone and call me. 919-612-0003. Again, 919-612-0003. That's my cell phone and I'll answer. Well, Sheriff, this has been very enlightening, and I certainly appreciate you taking time to share with us not only your views and opinions. You've been very candid, and I think that's great. And uh, we appreciate, again, the service that not only your office in Orange County, but all the sheriffs across the state of North Carolina provide in taking care and protecting our citizens. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he promises us we'll have another interesting guest next week. In the meantime, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com, and hear the entire broadcast. Till next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.